0: In a money pit, money pit. If your basement needs a pump, or your place look like a dump, you're living a money pit, money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I'm calling eight eight
1: eight money pit. The money pit is presented by Home Advisor and Bonide. Now here are Tom and Leslie
2: coast to coast and floorboards to shingles. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
2: We're here to help you with your home improvement projects, your decor projects. If there's a project on your to-do list, give us a call right now. If it's one that you're having a little trouble getting done, we can help get you out of a jam. Or if you're thinking about hiring a pro to get a job done, we can tell you exactly how to find the best one and what to make sure you ask for when you sign that home improvement contract. Whatever's on your to-do list, can be on ours if you pick up the phone and call us at 1-888-MONEY-PIT, 888 3974 Well, now that it's spring, we are starting to see all those spring flowers fully bloom. But you know what? I'm a bit impatient. I want to see them bloom right away. I'm kind of tired of waiting <laughs> for them. It's like they're teasing, you know? And it turns out that the speed with which those flowers bloom is determined by what the Department of Agriculture calls the hardiness zone. So we're going to share some tips on the fastest way to get a color-filled garden going, no matter where you live and where you fall on that map.
0: And also ahead, one of the hardest tasks that homeowners encounter when they're trying to have a quality lawn is getting rid of weeds. Now, it's an age-old problem that's made more complicated by the fact that there are over 200 types of weeds that love your lawn as much as you do, and they kind of want to stick around. So we're going to share some solutions in a bit.
2: Plus, are you planning a project to improve your outdoor living, but you want to be confident the project is actually a good investment? We're going to share the details on a project that can deliver years of enjoyment and one of the most valuable returns on that investment when it comes time for you to sell.
0: But first, we want to hear about projects that are filling your spring days inside and out—floorboards to shingles, whatever it is you are working on. I know we're still cleaning up from our messy winter, even though it wasn't very snowy. It liked did a number on our yard, so. That's what's been occupying my weekends. What are you guys working on?
2: Give us a call right now at one 888 Pit 888 Leslie, let's get to those spring projects. Who's first?
0: Marion, Massachusetts is on the line with a Ridge Vent question. How can we help you today? You know, my house is 70 years old. In time, it needed to
3: be re-shingled. So the roof explained now they use a Ridge Vent and they open the center of the roof. And it was agreed, And I was happy with the shingles. But I do not like that ridge vent when I attic. It's like having an open window. Is there a way I can
2: close that? No, that is doing exactly what it's intended to do and exactly what it has to do, Mary. You know, we all grew up with homes that were grossly underventilated, but if your attic is is ventilated perfectly, it should be the same temperature as the outside. It is not a conditioned space. It is unconditioned. So the heat is trapped at the floor level where you have insulation, but the ridge vent is designed to let air out of the attic um, where it's most likely to exit. So, for example, if your house is ventilated perfectly, the wind is going to blow over the roof. It's going to depressurize the ridge and pull air out of the attic from that space. It pulls out moisture in the wintertime. It pulls out heat in the summertime. And the other half of that Um, are soffit vents at the overhang. These work together to properly ventilate a roof. So you've just never experienced a properly ventilated attic, but that is exactly what ridge vents are supposed to do. And I would not change them because if you do, you're going to have a number of issues to crop up. Number one, you'll have moisture that will build up in the attic. And what that will do is make the insulation far less effective. If you add just 2% moisture to fiberglass insulation, it loses about a third of its resistance to heat loss. Secondly, in the Summertime, you have excessive heat, which will make cooling the house that much more expensive. So I wouldn't do a thing.
3: Hmm. Okay, I was curious. I'm not thrilled with it, but I guess I have to live with it.
2: Yep, get, get used to it. It's doing it's doing its job, Mary. Okay. Thank you. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at eight eight
3: eight Money Pit.
0: James in Delaware, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today?
3: The other day, I was uh, sitting in my living room, and all of a sudden, there this real loud, like whistle sound came out of my uh, water heater heater room. I opened it up. I just never heard this before. And it, it did this for a few minutes. And then it just stopped.
2: You didn't see any water come out of the overflow, did you?
3: No. No, that's what I can't figure out.
2: How old is the water heater, James?
3: About four or five years ago, I put in all electric that was gas before. but put all electric. I put a drain heater in. And there was another brand that they put in with the water heater. And it seems like now I never haven't heard that since. Now when I use the water, the faucet in the in the, in the kitchen, when I after I turn it off, a couple of minutes later, I hear this noise, this like um, clicking noise or something or something into the uh, uh, in the water heater. So
2: that clicking noise is probably the pipes expanding and contracting as they heat up and cool down. That's and it tends to. Uh, amplify itself because of the nature of the copper pipes. But everything that you're telling me doesn't signal that I'm, I'm thinking you have any kind of problems. Is sometimes as the water expands and contracts. It will make some odd noises to it.
3: Do I have to drain the heater at
2: all? Or? If, do you have hard water there? Oh, yeah. So if you have hard water, sometimes you get mineral deposits along, along the uh, bottom of the water heater. But that wouldn't really impact the electric water heater because the coils are up in the middle of the water. They're immersed right into the middle of the tank, so it's not going to make them less efficient. So you could, but I don't think it will have any effect. If you have a gas water heater, the heating element's at the bottom, and sometimes if you get mineral deposits that sit over the bottom of the water tank, it's kind of like an insulator, and it makes it harder to heat the water. But in the case of uh, electric water heater, the the heating elements are embedded up in the water heater, usually a foot from the bottom and a foot down from the top. So that wouldn't affect
3: it. Well, I thought is. This- isn't there one at the top and the bottom?
2: Yes, but it's it's immersed in the middle of the tank. It's like sticks through the tank kind of at a right angle, and there's one about a foot down from the top and one that's about a foot up from the bottom. So you're not going to have any settling of, of uh, mineral salt deposits on it.
3: What's the life expectancy of one of these things? About 10 years,
2: 10 to 12 years.
3: 10 years and that's it what I guess the elements go
2: usually well if the elements go they can be replaced but the, the tanks tend to leak after 10 plus years Wow
3: now where should I keep an eye on where does it uh, they leak in the bottom they just leak water all over the place
2: the best thing to do is if you're if you're going away right you should always turn off your main water valve and also turn off the water heater because it won't it won't waste a lot of electricity by heating up water in a house that you're not using
3: right by the let me tell you something I, I love you guys you guys had, uh, have a really very wholesome you know a great show because you know, there's a lot of talk shows on a different things. but you guys help a lot of people
2: we try thank you so much james we really appreciate that good luck with the project and thanks so much for calling us at 888 money pit
0: You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Give us a call. Let us know what you are working on. We're standing by at 888-MONEY-PIT, presented by Home Advisor. You can find top-rated home service pros and book appointments online, all for free. Just ahead, are you ready to see more signs of spring? Well, so are we. We're going to have some tips to jumpstart your garden and get those flowers blooming fast next, plus more of your calls right here at 888-MONEY-PIT. You live in a Money Pit.
1: The Money Pit Pit is presented by HomeAdvisor.com. Whether it's minor repairs or major remodels, leave it to HomeAdvisor to do the work. Check out HomeAdvisor.com.
2: Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler
0: and I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call at 888 Money Pit presented by Home Advisor. You can find out what it costs to do your home project before you hire a pro and instantly book one of Home Advisor's top-rated pros for free. Now we've got Frank on the line who's having an issue with paint on his siding. What's going on, Frank?
3: Um it's it's all I I pressure wash it. It's all coming off. It's like no one ever primed it before or anything, and I don't know if they use paint or stain, and I'm not really sure what to go back with if, if you have priming. I'm really, I don't know, I'm
2: lost. So we're talking about siding shingles here, not roofing shingles, correct?
3: Right, cedar shingles, white cedar mm-hmm. shingles. So the
2: paint's coming off after you've power washed them, so you probably didn't have good adhesion to begin with.
0: Yeah, but paint is going to come off when you pressure wash. That's just how it goes.
2: Well, that's true. And, and, and well, depending on the veracity of the pressure washer, but also if, if paint wasn't applied well, if it wasn't primed properly, then it'll come off even that much more quicker. So what I would recommend you do is to get rid of any loose paint that's left behind. You're probably going to have to abrade those shingles, uh, probably uh, brush them with a wire brush. Make sure you really get anything that's loose off of that. Then you're going to need to prime the entire um, shingle surface with an oil-based primer because that's going to give you maximum adhesion. The primer, one of the qualities of the primer is that it really sticks to the substrate. And then after it's primed, then you can put a top coat of paint over that but that's the process and there's just no shortcutting and especially if you've got adhesion problems with the paint that uh, you've taken off you can't put good paint over bad paint you've got to get rid of all the bad paint prime it properly and then repaint it and you'll be good to go frank
3: okay I, I, I've had some people telling me that you could use stain
2: well you could use stain as well but only if all of the old paint is off otherwise you're, it's going to look you know pretty bad now if you use stain you still have to prime it i've got cedar shingles on my home and i primed it first and then used the Solid color stain over that, and between the two of them, the last time I did it this way, it lasted about fifteen or seventeen years. So, but you got to prime it, no matter what you do, you got to prime it.
3: Okay, and an oil-based primer. Okay, thanks a lot.
2: You got it, Frank. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit.
0: Deborah in Pennsylvania, you've got the Money Pit. What can we do for you today? Okay, I'm purchasing a home that has a couple of stains on the ceiling, and it turns out the stains are
3: located directly under the vents. I don't know any other way to explain it, but they're like, there's tubes on the seat, on the outside where the roof is. So I was told by the inspection, um, that there's rubber stopper things that go around them need to be replaced.
2: Okay, yeah. So the plumbing vent flashing is what is leaking here. And the plumbing vent flashing consists of an aluminum piece of flashing material that goes underneath the roof shingles and a rubber boot that is designed to uh, fit over the plumbing pipe. And they very often, that rubber boot will very often uh, crack and deteriorate and does have to be replaced. Not a terribly complicated job. You know, a roofer or a carpenter can do it in about 10 or 15 minutes. They just basically have to peel up a roof shingle or two right around there. You can do that with a flat bar. You can actually uh, put the flat bar under the roof uh, shingle, get it right up to where the nail is, and kind of wiggle it back and forth. That nail will come right out. You can kind of disassemble the roof one shingle at a time, replace the flashing vent, and put it back together. So pretty easy, straightforward uh, repair project, and uh, not the least bit unusual, Deborah, okay?
3: Okay. Well, I appreciate
0: you taking my call. Thank
2: you. Yeah, you're welcome. Good luck, Deborah. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Pit.
0: Well, nothing says spring like colorful flowering plants in your yard. And now that we're well into spring, it's time to plant the seeds that will become those beautiful blooms of summer. But if you can't wait for seeds to sprout, you can plant live blooms for an instant pop of color. Now, the key here is selecting the right type of flowers for your region. And that's actually a pretty specific science.
2: Well, that's right. Now, the country's divided into 11 different plant hardiness zones. That's determined by the U.S. Department of Agriculture's plant hardiness zone map. And it lays out exactly where you are on that map, and that determines which plants can grow or are most likely to thrive at that particular location. If you try to choose a plant that's outside of your zone, it's going to take longer or it may not actually grow at all.
0: That's why preparing the soil for those flowers is really important as well. Now, you have to have healthy soil and the correct pH levels for the type of flowers that you're planting. You want to make sure you test the soil with a kit and then add organic matter if it's needed. You can add peat moss, sawdust, sand, manure, ground bark, homemade compost. What you add is going to depend on what those results you get. So it's really important to test that soil. You want to give those plants the best chance to thrive, and this really is a good way to do it.
2: It's also important that, of course, you water as directed. Now, it's possible that you could have too little water, but it's just as possible you could have too much water and flood out those plants. You want to try to strive, it, strive to get just the right amount so that the plants can actually survive and thrive. And if you keep it in the zone and you water it properly and you make good use of that information, you are very likely to get those blooms quickly and be able to enjoy that spring garden that much sooner.
0: Steven in Texas needs some help with a cabinet project. What can we do for you? Yeah, so my
3: wife has uh, challenges with chemicals like uh, formaldehydes and glues and paints that they put in kitchen cabinets, the new ones. And I was wondering if you had any idea like what a person could use that you could get away from them type of chemicals in cabinets.
2: So you're looking for a cabinet manufacturer that is sort of formaldehyde-free and VOC-free, is that correct?
3: Yeah,
2: that'd be right, yes. Steve, that's an interesting question because when it comes to kitchen cabinets, so many of the products that go into kitchen cabinets have the potential to have VOCs or volatile organic compounds in them because you could start with the boards that are used to build the cabinets, if they're uh, a a press board or a composite board of some sort that may have formaldehyde in it, for example. Then you have the finishes and on and on and on. I think what you want to do is you want to look for kitchen cabinetry that is built, to meet the new Carb two standard, that C A R B two standard, that stands for the California Air Resources Board. And that's a standard that measures the level of those types of toxins in cabinetry. And so if you search for kitchen cabinets that meet that standard, I think that's a good place to start.
3: But you have the idea like maybe some um metal cabinets, you know, like that would look nice in a kitchen like Would you have any ideas on something like
2: that? Well, you'd still have finishes on metal cabinets that would have some of the same issues.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, I haven't seen metal cabinets in a kitchen in forever. Um, The Gladiator folks at Whirlpool are doing a really good job these days with um, metal cabinetry for laundry rooms and utility areas and uh, spaces like that. But I don't know if that cabinet line is going to extend uh, to the point where you'd have enough flexibility to do it in a kitchen.
0: Well, I can share with you a vendor of a, you know, no formaldehyde added cabinetry. They're actually beautiful handmade wooden cabinets. I'm not sure of their price point, but I am familiar with the fact that they are not adding any chemicals to it. And they are very responsible in how they utilize the wood and the products that they use to make their cabinets um, it's a company out of Portland, and their name is Neil Kelly, and it's N-E-I-L-K-E-L-L-Y. And then there was a metal cabinet manufacturer that I was familiar with a while ago. It's Philip Metal, and it's F-I-L-L-I-P. Um, it's sort of this, you know, new revival of some interesting repurposed materials, and, you know, you might want to check them out as well.
3: Okay, well, thank you very much for the information. I appreciate
2: it. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT.
0: Sandy in Pennsylvania, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Uh, Yes, I was calling
3: to ask about uh, building a garage. My husband and I just bought a home. It's a uh, two-story colonial, but there's no garage. And um, we're trying to decide detached, attached, with or without a breezeway. Um, We know we want it to be oversized, um, but we're trying to decide uh, which would be the most efficient and convenient choice. Go with
2: so it's as much an architectural question um, as it is a structural question because you're trying to figure out what's going to fit best with the property, so that amount that involves looking at the house itself in terms of its design and also looking at the neighborhood to uh, determine you know what's going to fit in well because it's okay to have the nicest house on the block, but it's not okay if it's that much nicer that the rest of the neighborhood pulls it down in value. Does that make sense Yes.
3: And, and and I think the rest of the homes are very, very similar, except they have garages.
2: Okay. Well, then that's a good model for you to, to follow. Okay. Now, if you have the breezeway, then obviously you're going to have more functional space. So I'm not quite sure what we can do to help you with this question because it's really a design... Uh, that you have to kind of agree on with your with your husband, uh, and then and then set apart building it. When when it does get built, it obviously has to be built uh, by a pro in accordance with all of the local regulations, which are going to probably require that you have a set of architectural plans. Okay. So you may just want to start with that because an architects architects can help you look at the options very easily with the computer programming that they use today, and 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 give you a chance to look at it uh, from uh, several different angles, both outside and, and inside in terms of storage space and in different configurations
3: okay um also we need to replace the roof on the home so i was thinking you know making it attached or with a breezeway um Kind of makes it a little bit more efficient as we change as we replace the roof on the home. We'd be putting the roof on the garage as
2: well. Okay, well it would make sense for you to do the entire roof and have that folded into the same project, and then you could in fact fold it into the same financing too if you're financing the project. So yeah, I'm all for planning those projects to be done together because when the roofing team is on site, that will be the most cost effective way to get it all done. Okay, and have it match.
1: Okay, you
2: know we we did our roof uh, in the last year and we did everything but the garage and the garage really didn't need it. But seeing that brand new, beautiful roof on the house, I just decided that I would uh, ignore the fact that I had a few years of life left in my garage roof. And we did that as well, which is why um, we always say that the three most expensive words in home improvement are might as well. Right. Right. All right. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Pit.
0: Just ahead, one of the hardest tasks homeowners encounter when they're trying to have a quality lawn is getting rid of weeds. We're going to have tips to make sure your weeds lose the lawn battle after this. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy.
1: Money Pit is presented by Greenworks Power Tools. Make life easier with battery power, optimal performance without the cost and frustration of gas. Save time and money with battery powered Greenworks Tools. Visit greenworkstools.com to learn more.
2: Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti. Well, one of the hardest tasks that homeowners encounter when trying to have a quality lawn is getting rid of the weeds. You know, it's an age-old problem that's made more complicated by the fact that there are over 200 types of weeds that love your lawn as much as you do, maybe even more.
2: That's right. Now, to help us get a handle on the problem and the solutions, we welcome lawn care expert Jim Wood from Bonide, a company that's been helping homeowners beat back those weeds now for over 90 years. Welcome, Jim.
4: Thank you, Tom and Leslie. Glad to be on your show.
2: So this has got to be a question. You're like the guy that, like wherever you are, whether you're, I don't know, at the mall, the doctor's office, you know, uh, having a lunch at the local diner. People know you're a lawn care expert. People probably come up to you all the time and ask you, how do we get rid of darn weeds in the lawn? Is it always the same answer or does it really depend on what kind of lawn they have and what kind of weeds they have?
4: Well, it's pretty much depends, Tom, on the time of the year. And also how much stress the lawn is under as we get into late spring and summer. There's a variety of factors that come into play in controlling weeds and lawns.
2: When you say lawn stress, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it seems like an oxymoron. I
4: always think of the lawn as being very chill. Super relaxing.
2: Yeah, a place you want to relax. But how does the lawn get stressed?
4: Well, the lawn gets stressed simply because of drought. Uh, Warm temperatures will put stress on cool season grasses. Heavy wind dries out the lawn, creates the drought scenario, which creates the stress on the plant. And one of the things about weed control is in order to get control of weeds, they need to be actively growing. So when a plant is under stress, it is not actively growing. So the homeowner will not see the results that they fully expect.
2: So do the weeds get an opportunity when the plant's under stress like that to kind of uh, grab hold?
4: Oh, they can, depending on the type of uh, weed plant. Uh, Some will germinate in, in, you know, stress conditions. But the biggest thing is they definitely are very, very hard to control when the turf grass or, or the targeted weed is under stress.
0: Now, do you have to know what type of weed it is before you go and select that weed treatment, or is there sort of a one type for all?
4: Well, if your targeted weeds are living in, in your turf grass area, your lawn area, yes, you can go out and get yourself a broadleaf lawn weed killer, such as Weed Beater Ultra, which will control up to 200-plus weeds that a homeowner is going to find on their lawn. Um, that particular product can be applied early in the year, April, early May into mid-May. It can be applied into June. You start to get into July and August. You got to back off a little bit because it's getting too hot. And then you can reapply it again sometime in September through November. So it opens up a very large window of opportunity for a homeowner to control broadleaf weeds in their lawns.
2: Now, Jim, a lot of these weed products uh, come in a concentrate, I think sometimes people get confused about you know, how to mix properly. Is this particular product also available in a ready-to-use formula, like the kind that you can just sort of screw your hose to and go?
4: It's available in a ready-to-spray is what the terminology we use for a hose-end applicator. It's very easy to do. The homeowner just basically hooks it up to their hose, walks to the furthest point in their yard, and then works and sprays walking basically backwards so they're not walking through the wet-treated area. And then it's also available in a ready-to-use, which is used for spot treatment here and there.
2: We're talking to Jim Wood. He's a lawn care expert with Bonine about how to control weeds in our yards. So, Jim, aside from the Weed Beater Ultra Lawn Weed Killer, I think sometimes folks um, can actually make themselves a target for uh, additional weeds by the way they cut their lawn. People are in a hurry to want to try to lessen the number of times they've got to push that lawnmower over the grass. So sometimes they cut it too short. That can have an effect too, right?
4: Tom, that's very true. And that's one of the uh, contributors to having a weed infested lawn. Cutting the grass too short stresses the lawn. So what happens is it gives an opportunity for weed seeds to germinate and to grow the ideal scenario is to cut their lawn at about three to three and a half inches tall, and that will shade the soil and prevent weed seed germination.
2: Perfect. Jim Wood from Bonide, thank you so much for stopping by the Money Pit. If you'd like to learn more about the Weed Beater Ultra Lawn Weed Killer, where you can find it, how it works, and a lot of the other fine products that Bonide makes, head on over to their website at Bonide, B O N I D E. Com. Thanks, Jim. Thank
4: you, Tom and Leslie.
0: Coming up, are you planning a project to improve your outdoor living but need to be confident that that project is a good investment? We're going to share the details on a project that can deliver years of enjoyment and good ROI when you sell in today's pro project presented by HomeAdvisor.com next.
3: You live in the body Pit.
4: Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go.
1: The Money Pit is presented by Bonide. Bonide's all-natural Max repellent effectively repels moles, voles, ground squirrels, and other burrowing animals for up to three months. Bonide products are family-made in America and available at a retailer near you, or visit bonide.com.
2: Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler,
0: and I'm Leslie Segretti.
2: Give us a call right now at one eight eight Money Pit, presented by Home Advisor. You never have to worry about overpaying for a job. With HomeAdvisor, you can use their true cost guide and see what others paid for similar projects and then get matched with top-rated pros, read reviews, get quotes, and book appointments all for free. That's at HomeAdvisor.com.
0: Now we've got Scott in Iowa on the line who needs help with a painting project. Tell us what you're working on.
3: I just recently bought a um, rental house and the foster, it's an older home. And the plaster was falling off the house. Well, the guy I bought it from had repaired it. But if you look at it, it's falling out in some areas and falling back in in some areas. And I was just wondering, would I have to redraw it it, or is there a cheaper and easier way to fix
2: that? How much of this exists? Is there a lot of this that's where the plaster seems to be loose?
3: Throughout the whole house.
2: Yeah. Okay, so it's a problem because it's going to be dangerous. What happens is the plaster, when it's applied, it's applied over something called wood lath, which are like thin strips of wood, kind of look like those sticks we use to hold up garden plants and tomatoes and things like that. And the plaster expands to behind the lath and it sort of locks in place. But over the years with an old house, those keyways, we call them, loosen up. And then the plaster is not attached to the wall anymore. So you are looking at a situation where the walls are going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And if it's the ceiling that's loose, it could be dangerous because when that plaster falls, it's really, really heavy. I've seen it dent floors and certainly could hurt somebody. So now we have the question is, what's the best way to deal with this? Should I tear the plaster out? Should I drywall over? I've done it both ways. I've come to the conclusion after trying it this way for many years that the best thing to do is to put drywall on top of the plaster, not tear it out for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's less messy. Uh, Secondly, that even when you tear out the lath and the plaster, you'll find that the studs from the old house behind it are not very even. So when you put drywall up, it tends to warp sometimes. So what I would do is I would attach new drywall over the plaster. You can use three-eighths of an inch thick drywall too. You don't even need to use half-inch drywall. And then by attaching from the drywall through the plaster into the studs, you'll help secure that loose plaster so you won't have any further movement in that room. That would be my recommendation. That works out. All right. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974.
0: As you enjoy the warmer weather, are you one of the millions of homeowners that starts thinking about ways to further improve those outdoor spaces? If you are, it's smart to mind the ROI, and that's return on investment, because not all home improvements deliver a return on investment that you can count on. One that does, though, is building a deck. But your deck not only has to be well-designed to be attractive, it also has to be well-designed to be safe, and that's why this is a project best left to a pro. We've got some tips to help you get that project done in today's pro project presented by HomeAdvisor.com.
2: Okay, so first, let's talk about cost. Now, according to HomeAdvisor's most recent true cost report, the national average cost for a deck is just over about 7,000 bucks, but those costs can vary widely based on the size of the deck, the number of levels the deck has, and the material. For example, decks that are made of pressure-treated lumber start at around 2500 bucks, while those built using composite lumber are going to bring in upwards of 8000 So it really depends on all of those factors.
0: Now, regardless, a deck does deliver one of the best returns on your remodeling investment when it does come time to sell. Now, building a deck also helps your home stand out in the marketplace. It makes it much more of a desirable home to buy. Now, this is going to increase buyer competition for your home and result in a sale at the highest possible price.
2: Now, before you hire a pro, we obviously recommend getting estimates from at least two or three contractors before you finalize one pro to do the project. Make sure you read reviews from others that have had similar projects done by the same contractor as well. It's so important to read those reviews and make sure this sounds like somebody that you can work with.
0: You also want to spend a lot of time up front on the design. And don't be shy about talking with your pro about ways to save money on the project. Sometimes small design changes that you make early on can actually have a big impact on the final cost of the job. So speak up.
2: And that's today's pro project presented by HomeAdvisor.com. With HomeAdvisor, you can get matched with top-rated home service pros in your area, read verified reviews, and book appointments online all for free.
0: Now we've got Kathleen in Rhode Island who's doing some decorating and needs some help choosing floors. How can we help you?
3: Uh, There are so many choices. We're looking at laminate, engineered, and hardwood. What do you suggest? I have one concrete floor, which is the walkout basement, and then it's the first and the second floor. The First is main living area, and second is bedroom.
2: Well, in the basement, you can't use solid hardwood. You can only use engineered hardwood or the laminate because it's too damp.
0: Right, and the laminate's probably the better choice.
3: But what about wear and tear? That's the other thing. I mean, laminate cannot ever be sanded. You need to rip it out and redo it. we engineered, can be.
2: Well, I've got uh, probably 10 years on the laminate floor in my kitchen uh, and three kids that grew up on it. And I got to tell you, it's pretty tough stuff.
3: And now there are different degrees of laminate, too, no?
2: There's different finishes. There's different durability. There's a test called a Tabor abrasion test that's done on... on uh, and laminated surfaces also done on the finish of hardwood surfaces and that's what determines how durable they are. So as long as you, if there's an option in the quality of finish from something that's maybe designed for residential or commercial, I'd always go with the tougher one.
0: Right. Well, Kathleen, in in my home, our basement is, you know, where my kids hang out. It's my workspace. And I put a laminate floor down there and I chose one that has, you know, a beautiful grain to it. It looks like a hardwood. And then I've used area rugs to sort of warm it up and make it feel more homey, but it's super durable. Um, I had a plumbing issue go awry and lots of water underneath it and it didn't buckle, bend. You know, I was able to dry it all out and keep it really, really in good shape. Um, So I'm all for a laminate in a lower level. Now, when it comes to your main floor and your bedroom area, I'd be more inclined to lead toward, you know, an engineered hardwood or a hardwood, depending on your budget and depending on the aesthetic. Um, You know, you can go with, if you're concerned as wear and tear and refinishing, you can go with a commercial grade finish. It's going to be a little bit more costly, but it's going to allow that hardwood to really stand up. You know, the other option to consider is in your entrance foyers or places where you come in and out, you know, like a mudroom, go laminate again in there or do a tile or, you know, a marble or something um, that will be more easily cleanable, more durable um, you know, just to handle that type of wear and wear situation now, I personally on a second floor you know and, and even in in living spaces, you know you say you 're by the salt water, I imagine you have a certain sort of design style that that could be sort of. I'm guessing like a traditional but contemporary at the same time since you're on the water and wider planks are very popular now.
3: Yes, I agree. They're very attractive.
0: They're very attractive. You can go for a plank that has, you know, some sort of a hand scraping detail to it that looks a little bit more agey and more worn and you know, but still be durable. Okay, and so you're
2: comfortable with that for a full living space to land in it. All right, good. We talked you into it.
0: <laughs> All right, thanks so much for calling the Money Pit. Up next, green home improvement options seem to be multiplying lately, but it isn't always clear how much you're actually helping the planet and yourself with the choices that you're making. We're going to have tips to help you make the right choice for both after this.
3: You live in a Money Pit.
1: that is presented by HomeAdvisor.com. You'll never have to worry about overpaying for a job. Just use their true cost guide to see what others paid for similar projects. Then get matched to top-rated pros, read reviews, get quotes, and book appointments. All for free at HomeAdvisor.com.
2: Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
2: What are you working on this fine spring weekend? We'd love to hear from you if it's a home improvement project that maybe you need some help with. Help yourself first, though, by calling us at one 888 moneypit pit presented by HomeAdvisor. They really have the best local pros for any home service.
0: That's right. It doesn't matter what that project is. They make it fast and easy to find top-rated pros.
2: And there are no membership fees. It's 100% free to use. HomeAdvisor.com
0: Don't forget while you're online to head on over to MoneyPit.com and post your questions in the community section. And I've got one here from Julie in Wisconsin who writes, I want to replace a light fixture with a ceiling fan. Is there anything special I have to do like new wiring?
2: Hey, that's a good question, and that's a really fun project, Julie. So it really is, there's really two parts to that. One's the electrical part, and one's kind of the mechanical slash structural part. Now, depending on how that box is installed, A ceiling fan is far more heavy than a light fixture. So there are some special brackets that need to go into the ceiling structure to support that and the wobbly vibration that it's going to cause and the additional weight. So that's really important. In terms of the wiring, most lighting circuits can certainly power a ceiling fan. Uh, it's kind of a one-for-one one when you add that wiring. In other words, you're going to uh, have uh, a a black wire, white wire, and a ground wire, and you're going to have a black wire, white wire, and a ground wire on the fan most of the time. So it's usually a one-to-one kind of connection. But with all electrical projects, you definitely want to get an electrician if it's not something you've done before because you could get seriously hurt. But remember, make sure it's installed solidly and wired properly, and you'll have many, many years of happy use with it.
0: All right, Julie, good luck with that. Ceiling fans are so great on warm summer nights.
2: Well, green home improvement options seem to be multiplying lately, and it's not always clear how much you're actually helping the planet and helping yourself with the choices you make. Leslie has some tips to help you sort it out in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Leslie, it seems like green, organic, and healthy are terms that are way overused these days. How do we make sure We're getting what we think we
0: are. Those are a lot of terms that you're seeing thrown around in a lot of places, and it does get confusing. I mean, there's a term for it. It's called greenwashing. You know, it's you're just getting bombarded with all this terminology that you're not really sure what that real value is. Now, if you're planning to purchase a home improvement-related product and you want to ensure that it's environmentally friendly, there are a few things to look at beyond those advertising claims to determine if the product is truly green. You want to start by considering the basics. Now, I'm talking about the raw materials that go into that product and where they come from. You've got to remember that anything that's got to be transported a long way brings other precious resources into that equation. Then you've got to look at the adhesives, the coatings, the finishes that are used to make that product viable and whether or not the manufacturing process leads to release of harmful substances. And next, you've got to consider the product packaging and the likelihood that that product is going to release VOCs, those volatile organic compounds, into your home environment during and after installation Now, a product's afterlife has also got to be a big factor in determining the greenness of it. You know, just as there are benefits to selecting a product made from sustainable ingredients, you need to know that those ingredients can be recycled, reclaimed, repurposed. Whatever it is, when that product's time with you is over, you know, all good things must come to an end. And when that does happen, a green one is much preferred. So do your research. Don't be confused by the terminology. And I'm sure you will find great eco-friendly products to bring into your home.
2: This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Hey, coming up next time on the program, have you ever noticed a crack in a wall or foundation and wondered if it's serious or not? Well, Tom Silva, the general contractor from this old house, is gonna stop by with answers to that question and more on the very next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
2: Remember, you can do it yourself,
0: but you don't have to do it alone.